Hi, I'm Jeff Miller. I'm Anthony Navarro, and welcome to Talk Out Loud, where we share the LGBTQIA narrative one story at a time. On this episode of Talk Out Loud, we're here with Harma Hartuni. Harma is a self-made entrepreneur, proud husband, father, and survivor. Born in the U.S. and raised in Iran, Harma learned at a young age that he needed to rely on himself. After surviving a tragic accident, came with the opportunity to move to the United States. Once arriving in L.A., he began to embrace the gay man that he was and live from the inside out. This would lead him to become a successful business owner and create a family of his own. Harma has embraced the challenges that he's faced and used that tenacity to continue to move his life forward. He talks about his life story in his new book, Getting Back Up, a story of resilience, self-acceptance, and success. And today, we're just scratching the surface of his journey. Let's hear Harma's story. Well, we are in for a special treat today. We are here with Harma Hartuni, who is the author of Getting Back Up, a story of resilience, self-acceptance, and success. Harma, how are you doing today? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Oh, thank you so much for being here with us. I just want to say that your emotional intelligence is something that I admire, and I'm really just so feel really fortunate to share your story with some of our listeners just to, to benefit from the way you've lived, learned to live your life. And I think the best way is, is to kind of start off with, you know, telling a little bit of your story today. So that being said, we're here in LA, uh, just you know, virtually the three of us. You were born in LA, but you didn't stay here for too long. Where did you take off to after that? I was 30 days old and my mom moved back to Iran, or some people call it Iran. Um, so we moved back and I never came back until I was 19. So that right there alone um, is something that some people never will experience in a lifetime. And can we talk a little bit about like family? Like what was, what was it like growing up in Iran and what was your family dynamic like? My, my parents are Armenian. They're not Muslim from Iran, although Armenians, they're like in different countries, right? They migrated and they stayed there and they're Armenians from Iran. So my mom moved back because my dad was there and she, she was told by my father that you move back because wife will listen to the husband and husband decides all of it. And you don't hear stories. People come here and then move back, especially to third world countries. You hear the other way around, not to mention it's exactly when the revolution just happened. Mm. So when my mom arrived, they took the passports away, the American passports away from me, from my mine and my mom. And that's when exactly the revolution just happened and all the women had no right. And what happened, all the men will make any decision. Even if the woman had their own passport, they couldn't leave the country. So that was just kind of psychologically block. You would not leave this country until my dad will say it's okay, which was the reason we I was never allowed to leave because my dad was not a big fan of the United States. Um, he felt here, he he's no one, let's just say, mm-hmm. you know, and it's, yeah. I, I, ironically, I understand it, you know, not, I don't agree with it, but I understand it. I grew up in Iran. My mom was clever enough to get pregnant and bring but come here and have my sister. And um, so we were U.S. citizen while we were living in Iran. Always dreamt about what is California look like or what is... I mean, we. I only got candies from my grandmother sent 
to us and I we didn't even have candies there. So it was like shocking. And grew up with an um, Armenian school. Growing up, I always thought something is wrong with me. I was just feminine, I guess, or I was attracted to men, didn't know. I thought I'm sick and um, gone through my own journey in the book. I explained that, some of it. Watching my dad has shaped my life growing up extremely intelligent businessmen with very high level of work ethics when it comes to working hard but not the best leader Mm. i will say and at age of uh 19 when i 18 when i had a car accident i hit a car i hit and then i walked out of my car another car hit me and my both legs broke and I couldn't walk for 11 months and I moved to the US with a walker, couldn't speak word of English. My passport had no stamp on it. So they took me on the side. They were shocked that a Middle Eastern man is coming in with an American passport with no stamps on. So he has, I've never used it to leave the country. So they couldn't understand that. And I couldn't speak English. So. Hmm. It was a. It was not long. They figured out what happened, but then um, and then I never moved back. And then my journey started here. Hmm. Yeah. So the the first nineteen of your life. I mean, besides the thirty days you had here in LA, <laughs> then you go <laughs> back to, to Iran, and um, you you spend the first nineteen years of your life back back mm-hmm. there growing up. And um, and it's interesting. Uh, you know, you talked about the dynamic with your father, and in your book, you 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 really you have this way of reliving and going through some some pretty challenging moments, you approach it from this perspective of not as a victim, but just as of life and trying to figure things out. And um and I see like how how that's how well that has served you in your life. I don't assume to understand relationships between people, like between parents and, and, and siblings and you know families, but I see the freedom it's given you in the way that you approach your life. And you know, part of you know you talked about that accent that you're in and, and I think for so the listeners to understand is that at a young age, you um there was an Armenian cultural center in, in Tehran, I believe. Mm-hmm. And Correct. you really found solace in, in, in dance and you found an instructor who really believed in you and, in, and just kind of like filled up your cup. And then you were able to spread your wings and, and you really flourished in that. Can you talk about like the importance of, of, of having someone and what that was for you? Like having that teacher um, and having that outlet for, for, for you, you know, maybe having a situation that wasn't the best at home with your father. Yes, I was kind of obsessed with her because I felt she's the only one who understands me because no, going back now, I think she knew that I was different and she knew that's okay, but no one else did. Mm. And we never talked about it because I didn't know, you know, I just thought I will marry a woman, have kids and then sleep with men on the side. That's just the way it's supposed to be. Mm. And then she just knew something about me. And so I, I was very drawn to her, like a BFF kind, you know. And at one point, even her husband was very angry and jealous mm-hmm. because I was just always want to be with her. Nothing, obviously, I was young and nothing sexual. It was just like she she could see me. And I think that even helped me in my life and my career because sometimes you just have that connection. You meet someone new and just like, what is this? Like you feel it. Mm-hmm. So she had it with me and I, I developed that with others, which I had no idea that's called Gaydar in LA, but at back home it's like she felt it. And if I didn't have her, I don't know if I could go through the high school and, you know, mm. with the things that every year I had to struggle 
uh, knowing that I'm still loved, I'm still loved because I know my mom loved me, but, and she most probably knew in some levels. And, um, but yeah, it's very, it's very lonely. And I can only imagine how many people right now, they can't even read my story, listen to this, and they will benefit from this because it's pretty lonely out there, especially in countries like that. So yeah, she had a big impact on my life. Yeah, you you do this wonderful job of painting your life growing up in the book. You know, you do talk a lot about your family life and how it seems like there was a lot of love from your mom, from your dad. It it, it just was not a, a a great situation. And you know, it's so important for young people to have mentors in their lives. I know like for myself, so like your dance teacher was probably my theater teacher where, Mm -hmm. you know, I just always wanted to be, you know, after rehearsals or, you know, after, you know, uh, tryouts, I just wanted to be with her because the conversations that we were having and the things that she were teaching and probably like, like your uh, guide, you know, she was, Mm -hmm. she sort of had this, you know, intuition. I mean, Mm -hmm. young boy in the theater program, you know, probably something, you know, there, but it's really important to be able to have that outlet. And I think, you know, what you just said in terms of, you know, your story being able to reach even more people, there's, there's been a lot of conversations happening over the past, I'd say, you know, four or five months with the new uh, launch of the app Clubhouse. And, you know, Jeff and I have been pretty active on there listening to people all over the world talking. And you're right. I feel like especially being in, in Los Angeles, especially being in West Hollywood, we sort of forget, we kind of live in this bubble where there are people that are in hiding for their lives right now all over the world because of who they are because they're you know gay lesbian bisexual transgender it's you know it's crazy to uh, see that or to realize that that is what is what's happening and you do such a great job in the book painting this way of realization where it's also not just something that happens overnight that as you you have to go through a process. And I think today we're so ingrained in technology where we have all of this information at our fingertips, but we have to remember that coming into our own is a process and that for some people it may be real easy and for other people it may take a little bit of time. So I think your story does... You know, it just does such a great job in being able to allow people to understand that you kind of have to, you have to go through what you have to go through to get to where you need to get to. Absolutely, yeah, it's a journey. Yeah, yep. the part you talked about earlier, you know, with the you arrived here, you know, with a walker, you know, for anyone to have an accident, but the fact that you were a dancer, like that, was a thing where you where you, you you know you soared. You're right. You you have some really success in dancing. You know, you talk about the intersection of religion and life and culture in your book, which is really interesting the way you hold space for that. With being someone who was part of an Orthodox Christian family, growing up in a Muslim culture, and and seeing how, I mean, I grew up in an evangelical Christian family in the Midwest, and, mm-hmm. and I've seen like how like just how sometimes like tribalism can be with different religions. We talk so. What really I appreciate in your book is is the spirituality that shines through and. You know, you you've had these these spiritual awakenings. I feel like over over your lifetime, I just I don't know. Like I would kind of feel like if, if we didn't take advantage of this opportunity to really just hold space for the fact that you know you you had met 
you had met someone and um, maybe you had an expectation, a gentleman, um, and you thought you were going to be able to spend some time together at your, your family's garden house. And uh, that was cut short. And, you know, I would have been in resentment myself if that had happened at that young age. And shortly after that, you, you get in your, your, your dad's vehicle, as you, as you would probably many a time, and you give the, the, your friend a, a ride back to his, his parents' house at a less amount of time that would have been spent with him than you normally thought would have taken place, Correct. I guess. And can you walk us through... The, that 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 car ride, like after you dropped him off, and, and, and a little bit of what happened. Absolutely. Let me tell you. Right before this incident, the accident, I was a dancer, and I created this little funk competition that I danced, and it was all Michael Flatley's River Dance and combined. The day before that, I there was very far away from Tehran's court, like south south, very far, and I used to go there and give food and bread and things like that to elderly place. And I really, I'm not a religious person. We didn't go to church every day. I, I do believe something is there. I do believe if it's a person and energy, whatever you want to call it, I really can care less, but there is watching me. If you don't believe in anything, then I will be concerned. So, but I do not think you need to advertise what you believe to other people's brain. So I kind of don't like, cause I grew up with that and I just don't like it. So I don't, I wrote in a book and I was like, Oh my God, people will think I'm crazy now. So, um, after I go there and I give bread and food to people that they really need. I dance. Everybody says, you're, my God, your legs, your legs are so beautiful. The way you're, you did all the dance, the entire 40 minutes or whatever, the beautiful. The next day I drop off my friend. I'm driving back. There's this big uh, energy, like a light sitting right next to me. Um, it's an older man with a beard, linen clothes, long white hair. He puts his hand on me. I literally felt my hand is getting cold. And he said, you're going to die soon. And I'm driving a stick shift. And you can't go too fast on number one. You got to, so I am on, and then I pulled over and, and then I was like, what's happening? And in Iran, 20 years ago, no one wore seatbelt. Seatbelt is not something people wore. Just, I'm sure it is okay. They do now. So I looked for the seatbelt, not knowing even the car had one, pulled it out, pushed it back in. And I was like, I'm going to drive very slow. Mm. I get in the stick, uh, I get in one, and then my car starts turning. And it's a, it's a narrow road up, up on the hill. And if you look down from one side of the hill, it's like you don't see the bottom. So if you go down, you're done. So, and it's very dangerous road. Everybody knows about it. So anyway, I'm driving on stick shift and on the right side of the road, not the left side. Left side is when they drive up. I'm driving down and my turn, my car turned. It just felt someone on top is using their hand and they're turning my car. Mm -hmm. I go turn it back face down and my car was turning back uh, towards like my driver's side facing down. And my my car starts slipping down and I don't know. At one point I realized there's a bus coming up and if I went sliding down, the bus hitting my side, I'm the car was pretty thin car, I would be gone. So I turned the wheels and I went head to head to the bus. Car gets totaled. The the steering wheels was inside my belly, attached to the chair. Mm. I, I tried to come out from my 
driver's side, well, obviously it was the hill, uh, the the cliff, so you can't come down. On the p- passenger side, the dashboards and chairs are together. You can't even get to the door. So I turned the chair down, flipped back, used the back door, passenger side, I jumped out. Nothing happened to me. Literally nothing happened to me. And I waited. The bus drivers were all like shocked because they thought I'm gone. They come down and we start arguing because first they were not arguing. First we're looking and then we got an argument and they're like, because I messed up that now they can't drive and on and on. And next thing I know, another car hit me from the back. My butt was on my car and my both legs were between the bus and the other car driver. And I didn't know my legs broke. Mm-hmm. I didn't understand it. They came down, they pulled the cars apart. I fell down my, with my butt. I came down. I, I was like, oh my God, I got to get up before I die because w- w- there were two drivers. One of them passed and one of them, one leg broke down all the way from hips down. And I just like, oh, better nothing happened to me, I guess. So I got up and I just felt, oh my God, I can stand up. I, you know, the, my, my feet were on backwards and the earth was open, open, broken legs. And I do believe I was basically had an opportunity. Listen, I, I think every human has two lives is the one they're given to and the ones they realize they should live in. And I think that was it for me. It was like, okay, you danced gymnastic, you went through hell and you got to school, you pleased everyone Okay, now that life is over, you get to leave again. What do you want to do? And that was where I was like, I'm going to the U.S. and I'm not coming back. So it was a tragic, horrible thing. I hope no one goes through it. But if I had to go through that again to come here and have what I have and have this conversation with you and accept myself, I promise you I will do it one more time. There's a part of the book where you talk about growing up in Iran. Um, our culture was extremely important. Uh, we had to fight to hold on to it. Um, honor and shame and standards, reputation. But then you go on to say, but my culture did not support who I was becoming. So I had to make a decision, either choose my community or me. I chose myself. Hmm. And, 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 I don't, and, and I think that whether you're gay, straight, whoever you are, I think we all mm-hmm. have to choose ourselves. Mm-hmm. Right, in, in different ways, wherever our truth is. So I think anyone could read this book and resonate with you choosing your truth, if that makes sense. And, and in talking today about the life you have today is because you've chosen, you know, uh, there, you, you talk about also in the book success, right? That there's no such thing as overnight success, except for maybe when there's luck when somebody wins the lottery. But mm-hmm. other ways, uh, and, and you put this And in, have you met someone like that? Have but, you met someone? Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm curious. I haven't. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and so when you talk about that, like, in, you know, whether it was with the, the dancing for, for the performances, that it was a lot of, a lot of work, right? And then mm-hmm. when the actual time to actually do the performance, maybe it was three minutes long, but the actual, you know, practicing three hours a day for weeks on end, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, then, mm-hmm. and then now with, with being here in the U.S., how uh, so much of, of you, you, how much work goes into something and then it's sudden, and then suddenly it just kind of like manifests itself, though, after, after all the hard work. You know, you grew up with your father as an entrepreneur. But also in your book, you know, for, for as much as some of the, the harm that was done by your father, you also give him credit for the good. And, you know, and, and I think that what I've learned for myself is, is that 
um, to not to regret the past or was to close, you know, show, you know, close the door on it. Because anything I've had, anything like where I've had a disturbance or whatever, I can use that for a strength. Mm-hmm. And you take what some people might kind of find is something where it might be I'm a victim, and you turn that into power for yourself. What was it like when you um, when you were on that plane le- leaving for the U.S.? What was that feeling like? Like the movie Argo. Ah. Exactly when that happened in the movie, I was in tears because I remembered me. Because uh, when the wheels came up and when the ladies were taking their hijab or the, I don't know, what do you, hijab off, I felt I took my hijab off. Oh. I was like, okay, yeah. I'm not coming back. I am, you know what I mean? I was yeah. like, because at one point, see, my dad was very, very wealthy. So when you move here and you have no money, and he is extremely wealthy. You think about it. You think about going back. Yeah. These are the things I didn't write in a book, but it's like a, don't come back. You don't get it. Yeah. And, you know, I made a driver and anywhere, anything, any car. And I'm like, I don't want it. I'll go clean the toilets, which I did to a restaurant. I was like, I'm not coming back. Mm. And then you think about it. So the, the, the idea, what you asked me, how do you feel that that plane feeling is where you're like, I'm not going back. The people in Iran are amazing, kind, loving, beautiful people. It's the culture that allows when you have money, you're, you get to, I'm sure not everyone, but you get to dictate what your family's life will be. Yeah. And you're a father, that's how it will be. And he's an uneducated, wealthy man. So he gets to decide all of it. And I was just wanted to break it. I wanted to not be like that or be stuck with it. So I become like him for my kids. You know, I wanted mm. to break the pattern. Yeah. You know, the uh, reading about that dynamic of your family, your father and, and with you, you know, uh, I know for myself, like I had a very, I grew up with a very like dominant father, very different, you know, in terms of, you know, how our relationship was from you and your father. But I was able to pick up on like some similar traits where like this domineering, like machismo, patriarchy, you know, kind of feeling where it's like the the man of the house, like this idea of having to grow up and be the man of the house um, and to also sort of control what happens. And I think, you know, for people that are in that situation, being able to sort of have that experience that you had on the plane where you felt like you could take your job off, you know, it's like this, this weight lifted off your shoulders and it's no amount of money can get you to go back. It just makes no sense. And it, it then you then start surprising yourself what you are capable of. So it's like, okay, if I have to clean the toilets now, it's like, what, what's the to- what am I doing with my time while I'm cleaning the toilets? What am I thinking about? What am I manifesting? What am I working towards knowing that this is just a, a means to an end? I know like for myself, there were times when, you know, I was building, uh, starting off my business and, you know, I was bartending because I needed to pay the bills. And it was like, you know, people would say things to me and, you know, some derogatory things or like looking down mm-hmm. at me because of what I was doing. And it was like, it doesn't even phase me because I know that I'm here for a limited amount of time as a means to an end. Um, and I, and I think sometimes it's like, it's almost that push that you need to like get over the hump to be able to, you know, create this life because in so many, so many ways, you know, we're sort of taught to live in this world where it's like, 
you go to school, you get a job. You, it's like this formula. And, you know, for people who, like yourself, who obviously you don't fit that mold, you broke that mold. It's almost like you need that, that big push uh, to be able to do that. You, you are here in LA, you come to LA, and um, you land in West Hollywood. So can you tell us a little bit about what your experience was, you know, obviously coming from Iran where it was not, you know, you kind of had to live this like double life. And now you're in West Hollywood and the mecca yeah. of, you know, uh, queer culture. What was that like? Almost embarrassing to share because... Most people don't get to share, right? And actually someone asked me, a friend of mine, straight woman, and she's been, you know, it, she's in our culture. And she told me, because like, why did you, oh my God, you put so much out there of your life. Mm. And I said, and I was like, you didn't. Mm. And she goes like, no. I said, and how's that working out for you? Mm. You know, mm. and I'm just thinking, was like, what are you going to do to me? It's like, you're going to tell me this happened to you? I already said it. I think there's so much power. So um, going back to your question, <laughs> I I had a girlfriend, you know, and I remember I had a girlfriend, we went to watch a movie and there was two guys in front of me and they were touching each other and holding each other. Not Nothing like openly having any sex or something, <laughs> but they were holding each other. I was like looking at them and I was like tr something triggered. And then more and more, I would go to a store and, you know, men will look at me and I was like, and then I would be like, why this man, not the other three standing there? So it was like, mm -hmm. something was just, you know, here was more open and they will talk to me in Iran. We will just hide it until later. So, so I find my way to West Hollywood mm -hmm. and then I lived my life in here with my mom and my brother, my sister and brother later. And I will have dinner with my girlfriend and be done by 10 o'clock because I need to get to the Abbey <laughs> because the Abbey will ID you after 10. And I didn't have, I was not 21. And the Abbey was not what it is today, by the way, whoever's listening, this was a small place. It was not as popular as today. And, and then until I got to the point and I thought I, I went to the Abbey first time and I thought this can't be everybody here is gay. That's not possible. He's Asian. This guy's big and muscle guy. That one is Middle Eastern. I was like, what do you mean? Like, no, gays are not like, like so because I was not gay. I mm. just had sex with men. That's it. Mm. You know, it was nothing to do being gay. And I also still don't think it's very black and white. I don't think you can just be one or not be one. It's like everybody has a different desire. Things are, that's a personal life. And, and, but I just thought I'm just going to go back to what I know mm -hmm. and not shame my family. And um, mm -hmm. until I got to the moment that you said that, Jeff, that I accepted myself and what that means in my culture, you become selfish. Mm -hmm. You put yourself first. Yeah. Once you put yourself first, you're selfish. Yeah. So I did. I became selfish, took care of myself and, and now I'm able to take care of others. But yeah, I, I met my partner there 18 years ago and yeah, I don't, I, my mom forced me to come out. My mom just constantly asked me, who are your friends? Who are your friends? Who are your friends? I'm like, is there something you know? And I don't know. And <laughs> she uh, pushed me so hard. And if you read the book, it's pretty graphic how I came out to her. And, you know, that was a, I mean, she's beautiful right now with my 
relationships and the supportive, but holy crap, what I went through with her. <laughs> you, Arma, I, I don't want to give too much away of the book, but there is a part in your book that um, when you when you arrived and you're living in, I think it was Glendale. Was it? Uh, uh, well, we, Armenians they just moved to Glendale yeah. first. I don't know why. But yeah. <laughs> so what? So that's where you land. And and um, when you when you uh, you started going out to. Uh, to the Abbey uh, yeah. with, with a friend. And I, I so identified because I, I lived in Indiana and I would go over to Chicago. I would sneak, I'd, I'd drive the hour and a half. Uh-huh. And um, I remember, so you talk about in the book that when you, when you finally, you know, you not finally, you, you quickly, uh, you became self-sustaining. You get a job working at a carpet factory mm-hmm. or a carpet mm-hmm. installation place. You get the job so you can move out on your own because uh, there was, you, you had some, some tension in the, in the home. We'll, we'll, we'll leave that to the book. But, um, yeah. but you, but you come back to, to leave and your grandmother is crying over the laundry because she's found one of your shirts and she's, cause she feels so bad that she shrunk your t-shirt. Yeah. And I it, had, I had two lives. Yeah. I, I was, I, those t-shirts yeah yeah and i remember one morning waking up and my mom like i'd been out i snuck out to chicago i got back in home before my parents would wake up like i'd get home like by five o'clock in the morning and my mom was and i you know i was a teenager i was a teenager so that you'd sleep in and my mom was in my room and she pulled something out and it was like my, my gay section of clothes that no one knew about and she looked at the she was so confused about like what was this you know and, and you talk about this compartmentalizing of, of your life and mm-hmm. you know what like but self-centeredness is a real thing, right? Like when we become greedy, you talk so much about instincts in your book and um, intuition. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I think those things, when they're right-sized, uh, when we get quiet, when we get with, with, with whatever your source, God, whatever you choose to call it, that, mm-hmm. um, you know, to be honest, uh, to be of service to other people, but I've got to be, I've got to be quiet and be honest with who I am as a person, right? So then, you know, as long as it's safe, like there's levels yeah. of what that looks like for all of us, yeah. you know, where you're at. You, you, I will just tell you, your book is a page turner to anybody who's listening. I could not put it down. And, and, and I think the reason, part of the reason why it's so good is because you are so vulnerable. Mm. You walk through, so, so, and, and honestly, so if you didn't do that, it wouldn't have the depth and weight. And I don't think it would be as powerful as it is if you would have held that back. Any thoughts on that at all? I when I wrote it, I didn't think I'm being that open because I was just writing what happened. Ah. And then when it came out, I started hearing from people, I can't believe you're so vulnerable, or someone like you who will be appreciative so much, or someone who was like cold culture would be like, Holy crap, I can't believe you said that. I was like, I don't know. I, I just couldn't comprehend because what has happened, I have developed this skill set that I'm very grateful to have. I move on very fast when something bad happens. Mm. And so to me, it's like, well, that happened. I have moved on. Look where I am. But, oh, you want to know what happened? Here you go. And why don't you just move on from your thing and just lose? Look, you can go to the next chapter if you keep reading the old chapter. And and I just didn't realize how open to people. uh, I mean, even my partner goes like, I'm just letting you know. It's all out there. And I was like, what is it's like, I never, if you met me five years ago and you asked me, I would just say what it, and yeah, I'm the same person here at work at, with my kids. I don't hide. Yeah. Um, so it, I just couldn't comprehend to be a little bit diplomatic or hold back or say different. I was, and then, you know, I had great ghostwriter who was helping me and he was crying. And one day I was remembering Chicago, uh, I'm we're having I'm having me and Jalopi was having his martini and I'm like come on come on come on I I'm flying tomorrow we're gonna get to the few more chapters and he was crying and it was like it's like you gotta John just because I I can't believe this I was like listen 
You can read this later and cry, <laughs> but we have to move on. I don't yeah. have time. Like I can't fly back every weekend here, right. you know? And so, um, yeah, I'm, I'm very proud that the, what I hear consistent from every single person that they couldn't put it down. Yeah. And it takes like two days for a good reader. Some people faster yeah. or a week. They just, it's not something you go back six months later. It's no. like, Oh, I forgot no, this, no. you know? And I'm, um, I am I'm proud of that. Yeah. Yeah. I, so, you know, what you just said, you know, when you take a, you, something bad happens to you and you're able to move on really quick. And you said that you've developed this skill set. You know, there's so many people who where, you know, we just can't move past, you know, something bad happens to us, right? And we just can't move past that. How did you develop that skill set or where did that skill set come from that you were able to just, move right on and, and move on to the next thing. Started in a young age. Um, I had to like, like, for example, what my dad did to me, mm-hmm. I couldn't focus on what he did to me. I had to make sure I move on fast because I need to make sure my mom will be okay. Uh, right. So it wasn't about me and oh, and poor me. Yeah. And also, honestly, I didn't have many people to feel sorry for me or want to listen to my, me or, protected me and so i learned to be like okay get up get back up and literally the name is because of that it's like okay get back up how do you and i even learned english like that because when you move here i was like i speak armenian i speak farsi i understand arabic it's like holy crap none of them matters and you have to learn english and i was like i'm not gonna surround myself with anyone so i'm just gonna forget about it yeah just learn the english like go in fast and you gotta you can hold on to things i it, it slows you down. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, so I, I think it's like sending you to an island and burning all the ships and you either build a new house there and live your life or build a new ship and leave. So it was no other option. I didn't have uh, in every little things happened to me. I had to just move on very fast. That's uh, first day of January. I come in, I have an amazing assistant who helped me with the book and the boxes. And uh, I was like, Oh, great. I have someone perfect. Literally, motivated, meditated, come in. My business manager goes like, I need to talk to you. I need to talk to him. Like what? And I'm so happy, excited about the journey of the book being launched. And my business is flourishing. Goes like assistant quit. And I'm not going to name who, but I was like, what are you talking about? Yeah. And I literally everything, the Excel sheet of everyone who's getting the book, when is what's everything was on her. Wow. I, literally didn't take me more than three minutes. Yeah. I caught myself. Yeah, yeah. Just was like, what the hell? Where did I get that from? I was in my office, closed the door, on my phone, typed something, make sure the grammar is right, spelling is right, and it's not too generic. Yeah. I copy-paste to every single in my phone, from my chiropractor to best friends who lives in Chicago, anywhere, anyone. Yeah. Next thing I know, I found Gina. Mm. And I was like, and I I forgot to tell her, I swear to God, I forgot to tell my assistant then that I'm okay. You're yeah. leaving. I just forgot. And then I was a week later, I'm like, oh my God, did we talk about when is your last day? Because like, I didn't even know you knew. I'm like, oh yeah, I'm already looking for someone. Don't worry. I wish you the best. Like I couldn't, you right, know, yeah. so I was like so grateful that I have this ability to move on versus one week of being upset. Like yeah. I, how's that going to help me? Yeah. 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 That energy that we take, we, we so much of, of what I, the life I have is what I'm creating for myself. And mm-hmm. you know, you, you maybe had like a three minute resentment, not even, and you moved on to the solution. 
right? And and uh, you talk in the book, you said, uh, I believe in five-minute funerals. And maybe that was a three-minute funeral right there, right? <laughs> Not even. More than five-minute funeral. Where, are you get, where is that going to get right. you? Yeah, exactly. And I, honestly, I don't like funerals, and I don't go yeah, to I, it. Yeah. I, I just don't want to go to it. And I, my philosophy is wedding or funerals. If you don't have dinners and hang out with these people or it's, you know, like there's no need to go unless if it's your best friends, family members, I get that. But if you just out of nowhere show up to someone's wedding because it's a second cousin and which in my family you do, you just don't like each other. And then you show up on their wedding and then you sit there and then I was like, I, I just don't do it. So th- I learned that from funeral. I'm like, it's five minutes funeral. If I have to show up, mm-hmm. I'm just going to show my face that I like I care, but I really don't know the person who died. I never had dinner with them. I never showed. I never called them. So, um, and it's in listings. In my business, you're rejected all day long. Yes. So it's like, yeah. Lots of five minutes funerals and move on. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And you know, we're, we're going to move on. And what I'm hearing is, you don't take it personal. You know, it's in choosing yourself. I'm not hearing a lot of selfishness about, oh, me, 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 me. Okay, well, let's move on. You know, and the self-centered fear. You have a real estate business that. This is testament to your patience and diligence and how you treat other people today. Can we uh, talk about uh, how you got into real estate? My ex-broker was dating my cousin who for a short period of time. And this is when I was looking. I got home one day and I realized my mom was working somewhere for $700 a month. Mm -hmm. Fridge was empty. Nothing in the was one piece of bread and one egg. And I was like, oh my God. We grew up so wealthy and I cre- I did this. I caused this. And I'm gay now. So I that's the reason we can't go back. I came out. Oh my God. I this felt so responsible. Mm-hmm. So I asked that broker for a job. I showed up to his office twice, uh, two weeks in a row. He was laughing. He was like, What are you doing here? I said, just let me work for a week and you pay me. He did hire me. He gave me two thousand dollars a month for an assistant. I thought. I'm rich. I took my mom to Baja Fresh and we ate lots of, you know, burritos. And we thought like I made it. And then we, one day he told me, he goes like, how much do you want to make more money? And I thought he was going to give me a raise. And I said, sure. He goes like, how much more? I said like 2,200, 2,500. And he goes like, no, no more. I said, I was shocked. I was like, is this a tricking me? And, and then he says, you should make more. I said, I, I like how much? Because like like twenty five thousand a month. I said no one makes twenty five thousand dollars a month. He goes like, yes, they do, and you can. I said there is no way. I don't. I don't know what. Couldn't comprehend. I had no one around me mm. made that, and or thought like that. Forget about make that. And he said, get your license. I was like, oh no, I'm gonna be dentist. I said, no, get your license. I said, oh no, 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 I'm gonna be dentist <laughs> and I'm gonna be very rich. He goes like. Just get your license. He pushed me and he was very blunt. And I think I learned a lot from him on that. Got my license. A few months into it, I was scheduled to make that. And I put a goal and I started hitting that. I was like, I don't think I'm going to be dentist. But I couldn't say it. <laughs> and I was like, oh my God, how do I quit that? Like, I'm like, I, I love it. It was like, I just was just meeting people. I, people will meet me and they're looking to my eyes and I'll be like, what condo, which, what's the price range? Oh, that one is not going to work. This one has to litigate. I knew every building, every, like I studied it. So I memorized it. So when I met someone, the buyer will be like, he knows all of them. So I sold 21 homes on the first year in my real estate. And a few years, two years later, I left 
and I joined a company called Keller Williams and um, they told me not to join there because it's a cult. They clap for each other. They're too happy for each other. It's like a church. And I, I interviewed everyone except them. I was like, I'm not joining there. Absolutely not. And then I ended up joining there because mm. the, the one I joined shut down. <laughs> I just moved across <laughs> straight to Cal Williams. I had no option like one minute. So I was just joined and I became a team leader manager of a new Keller Williams office. And I became the number one recruiter with Keller Williams nationwide. And then I became um, the office that I was leading became a most profit shared office, most profitable office in the region. And then I ended up having an opportunity to become an operating principal, which is owner of five locations. Mm. And then I never stopped selling real estate. And then I ended up opening more ancillary businesses and and just I never done anything besides real estate except leading uh, the leadership part really really helped me to become someone who I am today. I don't think you're just born with it. You gotta have that opportunity to lead, and you have to spend money. To I have had a coach every uh, since mm-hmm. I became an agent, <clears throat> and that's my real estate journey. Yeah, you know, you said. Uh, like thinking back on like sort of how you were in this you know this process um and how you you were so adamant that you were going to become a dentist and that that's what you had your heart set on and you were like I'm going to become a dentist and it was like you know that source the universe god whatever you want to call it is like right in your face in in your mentor and this this person right in front of you saying you need to get your license and i think you know i know for myself i've had those sort of moments in my own life where it seems like this this person appears or something happens that is so it's such a strong force that really is pushing you to you know to to go in one direction and you know some like so many of us don't listen to that voice you know don't listen even like you were resistant it sounded like you were a little resistant at first but it's you know once you it's it's just a reminder for myself and everybody listening you know that it's not just about what I want. It's what am I supposed to be doing and following this path that's laid out for me. And obviously you've been very successful and it's led to so many things for you. And also, you know, just pointing out too that you you've had you said that you've had a coach. And I think I know for myself that sometimes I've had coaches, you know, professionally as well. And I and I could see the difference of when there is someone that I have this sounding board, this coach that I'm working with, and when I'm not working with someone. And I could see the difference in my personal life, my business. It shows up. And I, it's just something to r- remind myself that asking for help is not a bad thing. And I think that especially like in, I'm guessing like in the culture that you grew up in, there probably, it was like, be the man, you have to figure it out yourself, you know, kind of thing. And for us, it, it just is something to, to remember that it's important and it's okay to ask for help and to get that guidance. I know in the book that you do uh, talk about the importance of with the people that are around you, that you give them uh, time to grow and thrive so that 
you're not just focusing on yourself and everything that's all about you, that you're really focused on the people. Can you talk about how you learned that lesson that you need to invest in the people that are working for you, not just you know be worried about what you're gaining from the business? Yeah, my first hire as a team leader, my operating principle will allow me to do and I was shocked. I was like, what do you mean? He goes like, you make the decision. I was like, <laughs> so when there was a she and he, both of them, I was like, then I thought about it. Every time I noticed, they're like, you make the decision. Mm-hmm. I didn't make any decision. I start thinking about it. Every time they said, no, don't do it. I just went for it. Mm-hmm. I was, I realized I'm the problem. So I'm just like jumping against whatever that is, unless they put it all on me. So I learned that through my people so now I have a CEO, I have an operation manager, I have CFO. And every time, trust me, I know the answer. It takes like two minutes for me to say it. I just pause and I'm like, well, you decide. It's going to be you. If, mm. if you don't like them, you're just going to have to fire them. And if you love them, you're going to tell me that you hired, you're going to take the glory. And they just pause. They're like, well, I need to interview more people. I'm like, it's up to you. Mm. Because, or they want to come up with a program for the office and I have done it. I've been doing it for 18 years. I have done things. It's like, crap, that didn't work. And I'm like, you know, I pick my battles. If I know it's going to cost me a lot, I will. But sometimes I'm like, you go for it. And it allows them, I think more responsibility they have. Mm. That's how you invest in them. They learn from it. And earlier, both of you said something, no matter how selfish you become and you want to be good and take care of yourself, if you don't put yourself in the right environment, mm. it's just not going to work. No. Right. Yeah. So, so when you are, I always jokingly tell my agents, I'm like, hey, do you see your name on the whiteboard? They're like, no. I'm like, okay, because whiteboard is when you get a listing or transaction, I put their names on. Mm. They're like, no. I'm like, do you have a coach? They're like, no. I said, well, sounds like you're your own coach. <laughs> yes. And it's not really working out really well. So you may want to fire yourself and hire someone else who can help you get your name on on the board. That's so, that's so good. Right? So it's just like a matter of like, if you are happy where, where you're yeah. at and you're not complaining, but yeah. you can, and they know, my office knows that you can't come to my office, complain if you have not taken an action to correct it first. Mm. So you cannot, like there's no tolerance. And as a matter of fact, I have a, when I was a team leader, a lot of people will complain and say my real estate is like that. And I used to say, I'm like, you can complain 15 minutes about anything you want, but you have to sit there in 15 minutes to say something good. Mm. And people start not coming in. I was like, don't come in. Because it's like me, this happened and this happened. I'm like, well, I have a, I, at that time I didn't have a book, but I'm like, I have a book to write about. Like, trust me, we don't have time for that. So it, it pushes back to develop people to say, if you don't have a solution, I don't want to hear the problem. Mm-hmm. So I put it back on them. So they take an ownership of them. And it's very interesting. Non-talent cracks mm-hmm. and they, they leave in a minute. And I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Go, go ahead, yeah. No, no, this is, this is so, I, I resonate so much with what you're saying. And, and I think it, I need to be humble to the fact that like, 10 years ago or about nine years ago, my mom had said to me, she's like, Jeff, she's like, you're going to realize eventually it's not about bad luck because I was making a lot of bad decisions. And I was like, you know what? Like I am an, I'm an adult. Jeff Miller incorporated has been a failure right at that time of my life. And once I admitted I had been a failure and I started re like 
being open to the fact of having a coach, having mm-hmm. someone pointing out in a loving way, meeting mm-hmm. weekly and being like, okay, mm-hmm. this week, I think we've built you up a little bit, but I'm going to point out now this defect or this thing, or you know, am I like, and, and, and I, maybe I didn't want to hear it that day, but maybe later in the evening in the shower, I would allow for it to the truth to sit in. I'd be like, you know what? He or she, they're right. You know what? I, this is so true. Now, now, now here's the exciting thing. How am I going to change it? Like that, that's, and then I got to start living and taking that action. Like you talk about, you, you talk about unsolicited advice in your book. There, there's a, I, some. <laughs> right, right. And, and, and here's the thing. Like I've also, I, and I've also heard like, so we're talking about um, coaches and stuff like that. Right. But the thing mm-hmm. is usually generally speaking, a coach has something that I want. Right. And they're taking the, they're taking the advice as well too. And I've learned that people that are not in the ring, that aren't doing the work, they aren't like down there, like getting their knees dirty. I don't, I used to give them privy to, to, to my thoughts um, when they, oh, you're doing this wrong. I'm like, wait a minute, you're not in this until you start, you know, until you start really, you know, if, if you're in the ring with me, then yeah, I'll listen to you. But those people that are sitting on the sidelines, um, mm-hmm. I, I, you know. Uh, so my question to you will be, whose fault is that? If you go to those people on the sidewalk oh. and ask them question, mm-hmm. is it their fault they open their mouth or is your fault you go to them? Well, that's, that's a good point there, right? Yeah, so mm-hmm. I, mean, I think it's two things because you have people that will. There's there's two things. I can go to the person and ask, mm-hmm. and people can come to me with unsolicited advice, Correct. right? Correct. And so what's my part in both those situations? Exactly, and that's what I noticed recently. I wrote it as like you get advice from unsolicited people, and then I was like, hold on a second. I notice it's not just them talking; these people are going to them. It's like, uh, you get, but if you're busy doing what you need to do, yes. you won't go to those people right. you yeah. will find a coach right. yeah so yeah it takes two people on that and i again i i was sitting with a group they were talking they none of them had real estate company none of them owned their own businesses one of them owned his own business but small two people and they were talking about subway franchise mcdonald's franchise minchies and pinkberries and Remax on real estate, and they're just talking, and they looked at me. They're like, "So, what do you think?" I was like, "I no idea. I never looked into it." They're like, "Well, you, what do you think?" Subway. I was like, "Well, I can't say anything. I don't never owned it. Yeah. I don't. I don't know what it is. I don't even know what Subway franchise is." Yeah. And they all oh, had so many opinions. How oh, that's not good. Subway, you need a few. McDonald's is this, and I was like, "They're like, well." They're like, what about Keller Williams? I'm like, honestly, I don't even know mine. I'm, I barely know my office. I don't even focus on <laughs> Michigan, what they're doing. I don't even know my franchise agreement will be due. What does that mean? I don't know. I said, I'm just, no, I'm the number one in the region. That's it. And they're like, and I was just looking at it. It's like, how interesting. They get fed off of each other's opinion, mm-hmm. but no one talked about what they're good at. Yeah. They won't talk about the things. Yeah. And just, again, I put myself in that environment. I realized I'm an hour. I'm with the people that... We're talking about things. I'm not learning anything. Yeah. I don't want to learn about Subway. Yeah, it might be a good thing to know, but I don't want to know. Like, <laughs> yeah, you know. right. Yeah, following your interests there. That that all makes you know. I uh, I know that when I'm surfing, it's so much better when I'm on my own surfboard on the waves I want to be catching. You know, and uh, I really appreciate just this. I could talk about this kind of stuff for hours with you, but um, we want to be respectful of time and and, and honor all the. I'll just kind of touch on something else that you've done that I think is really inspiring. Your father today. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you you have kids, uh, you know, um, and that's part of also what in your book, knowing about just your emotional intelligence and life, and, and just now that you're able to be a dad, what's what's that experience been like? 
Amazing. I mean, yeah, amazing. If you ever want to be a father, don't wait. There's no timing. I hear a couple of my friends, they want to have kids and they're like, maybe in a year when I'm ready, I'm like, I don't know what that means. I knowing what I know today, I still will do the same time. My partner wanted to wait. I was like, I, don't, I, I you know, I, by now I've been reading my book, you know, when I want something, I just go for it. So, but he was like, thank God you didn't make us wait. It gave me a bigger purpose. I can't remember what was the first purpose that I wanted to have more in life. Right now, I have more on my plate. I have more to show and I have them and I spend time with them. So I don't know how I was not doing more before that because mm. I should have been more productive. Mm. I am I am so comfortable to say no to things when you're always wasting my time. Before I would just stay in the office at nine o'clock and spend time with someone who's never going to get me to the next level. Mm. So they have taught me to not judge others. Mm. Oh my God, I used to judge anyone with kids. I was used to tell them, oh, that's, I will never do that. That's not how you do it. It's like, now I'm like, dude, whatever you think is best. <laughs> I mean, I definitely, um, I learned from so many other parents what to do with my kids, what or not to do. Mm. We're not very scared. We let them, when they fall, we don't run and grab them. We, if they're not hurt badly, I get, I wait for them to get up and I, engage with them to what happened when they fell so they don't fall again. I, I want them to be disappointed by age of 18 as much as possible mm. so they don't get hurt at age of 21. Like some of my fat cousins and friends, they have said that, oh my God, I can't believe that happened to me. It's like, you're 21. Mm. So much should have happened to you by now. Yeah. I don't know what we will do. I do know my kids speak multiple languages. They're very kind. I have the kids back to back, so they're very close in age. So I will never, if I know what I know today, not have another one today. No way. This is it. Like if you're having it back to back or don't have it, it's painful. It is joy, it's joyful, but I wouldn't say it's not challenging. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but that's life, right? I mean, you know, uh, I just, uh, I'm, Anthony and I are able to see you uh, through technology today. Mm-hmm. And to people that are listening, and obviously you can hear this in Harman's voice, just the, 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 the peace that you have about you is, is, uh, is contagious, right? And, and, and I think that that goes back to you being happy and honest with who you are, and then you're able to be a better version of yourself, and we all benefit from that. Anthony and I were both wondering, because um, Anthony's written a couple of books, but, but I haven't, but I, and I was just wondering, what has, uh, we actually were both wondering this, but what has writing this, this book taught you about yourself maybe that you didn't know before? Wow, great question. Didn't get this one before. He has taught me that this is just the beginning. I um, That energy that we talked about earlier has, when I am in peace and I'm happy, I was just in Hawaii and mm-hmm. just, I love Hawaii. It's like a, I go once a year. I'm very just connected somehow to that, uh, any islands up there. But that energy has told me that this is, the, you know, the accident and 20 years, and now I'm turning 40, something else is cooking, something is going to happen. Mm. Not accident, you know, something big that is going to be huge. I feel it. And I do think the book helped me. Mm. I can't figure out what it is. I am really don't know. I just felt it yesterday. I told my best friend via text. I was like, some, and she, 
just we both were texting about it. Just like um, my partner thinks I should write another book already. I was like, are you kidding me? I can't even breathe. I have so much going on. He goes like, you need to write the leadership book. It's not going to be personal. It's going to be about mm. business, it's not real estate, but business and all the failures of leadership I have gone through. But I don't know. I wrote the book as a letter to my kids and now it turned out to be a book. Mm. So, but I do think there's a something bigger in a sense of, it's not money. Trust me. I, I mean, Anthony, you know, that writing a book is not going to pay for your living. So yeah. I, people like, oh, you're, you sold 1000 on the first week. I'm like, yeah. Do you know how much I got paid? Yeah. Like that's, I mean, I don't know how people write books yeah. and they continue doing that. And like, I'm an author. I'm like, I feel so sorry. Yeah, like, a you have job? Like, so much work. like how I, you know, um, but I created jobs by writing this book because I hired a publicist, yeah. the editor, you know, but just to go back, I am, I think something bigger and more, something that was going to fulfill my forties to fifties. And it's hopefully something bigger will come out. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, there's there's this uh, this overarching theme of your like willingness to be who and what you're you are in life and and give back. And uh, I'm not going to say anything else. I want people to be able to enjoy the experience of reading the book as we both did without giving too much away. But uh, it has just been a pleasure and a joy. Um, and we so thank you for writing the book. Oh, thank uh, and it was you. so yeah. so needed, and uh, it's both. Uh, been beneficial to both of us and, and we really encourage everyone um, we're going to have links online on our website uh, to, to the book and uh, to, to all uh, things to connect with you once again Harma it has just been a joy to be with you today and uh, we look forward to, to, to following what's next in life for you I appreciate you both thank you the overarching theme in Harma's story is to embrace the good and the bad that happens to us and move on If we dwell on it or stay in the past, we'll miss the opportunities of today. To get your copy of Harma's book, Getting Back Up, visit our website at www.talkoutloudlive.com and visit his profile page. Thanks for listening to this episode of Talk Out Loud. If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe, rate us, and share with a friend. You can also follow us on social media at Talk Out Loud Live. If you or someone you know has an inspirational story and a member of the LGBTQIA community, we'd love to hear from you. Reach out to us on our website at www.talkoutloudlive.com. On our website, you can also catch up on past episodes, learn more about our past guests, and browse their profiles. You can also get your official Talk Out Loud gear in our online store and browse our online bookstore curated with our guests' recommended books. Thanks again for listening. And remember, be true, be you, and to talk out loud.